Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. Fran Lewis, I think I am. And we have the author of Finding Light in a Lost Year. We have all been through so much this past couple of years with this pandemic. This book is very powerful and you need to read it to understand what a family goes through, and I'm sure that some of us are going through it also. So good morning, Karen. How are you? And welcome to MJ Network. Thank you, Fran. Good morning. I'm well. So why did you decide? I'm. You know, it's funny because when I got the thing, I just, they don't give me a choice. Gina just says, you're going to do this. You're going to read it. Don't worry about it. Do an interview. They don't, they don't, they don't even give me a choice anymore, which is probably good. <laughs> So I said, I just, I read it and I go like, oh, how come you decided to focus on the pandemic? Because if anybody doesn't realize what people go through, you need to read the book. Seriously. Well, I actually had another book in mind that I was working on. And the idea of writing a book about experiences during the pandemic was just so strong. I thought about it when I went to sleep. I grunted about it. It was in my head when I woke up, and I had prayed and prayed about, you know, should I write this? And I just knew that I should write it. And I felt that nobody else was talking about the pandemic. And these are experiences, I mean, such deep and and life-changing experiences that happened during the pandemic, and nobody was really talking about it. Well, there were some authors that did, but they didn't do a very good job. They sort of like threw it in as an afterthought. And I'm saying, you know, you're not really getting what it's supposed to be about. So this is, I mean, I like I said, I have family members that went through this. And I get nervous every time I don't hear from someone because I get worried that somebody is sick. So how did you create the character traits of this family and actually, Roddy is great, but I wanted to smash her husband because he got me mad. <laughs> well, seriously, I've had other people say they didn't like the characters, either of the characters in the beginning of the book. Yeah, I know. I, saw, I, the, said, I saw the reviews. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I made them not likable because you can't grow a character if they're perfect mm-hmm. in the beginning. They have to have flaws that develop mm-hmm. over the course of a book to have a character arc where they start from someplace and they end up somewhere else. And that's kind of what, and, and the characters are a composite of people I've known through my life. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like, I observe society, I observe people, and I pull out those things that I have seen in people and put them in my characters. You sure did. I'll tell you that. And you're going to be very happy to know. Well, my dermatologist loves me. 
not because I come to visit him for a medical thing. He loves me because I bring him books every month just to come to bring him books. And he's got yours next. Yours going right in the pile. <laughs> His wife loves me, too. I said, why should your wife have to go out and buy books? I brought him 40 last week. He was very happy. <laughs> so by next week, I'll have another 25. I read very fast. So tell us about them. And you know what? They didn't believe that there was a virus that came from China. Nobody, a lot of people didn't believe it. And how they listened, maybe wouldn't be in such a predicament like we're in. So... Tell us about them before they learned about the virus and what happens well, when they finally realize, oh, my God. I, I, I think that I, I, I drew these characters as a mm. power couple that were so focused on their careers, they were oblivious mm. to other things that happened in their life. And they weren't paying much attention to their children. They weren't paying a lot of attention to each other. They were so focused on their careers. And it kind of came out of a conversation I was having with a friend that what happened to these people that were so focused on their jobs, their office, and their careers, when all of that went away, what happens to them? So that's kind of an idea that evolved uh, with these characters. But I made them very career-centric in the beginning. And then... And and I think like most people, like me, when I first heard about this virus in China, I thought, oh, it's in China. It's not going to be here. And then that's why the book is month by month, because you see how it progresses, how we were trying to avoid it, trying to think it's not going to affect me, and then gradually things get taken away. You know, mm. uh, travel abroad is taken away. Uh, jobs become working from home, then some mm. jobs dissolve. So gradually, as there was a, a shutdown, as the kids had to stay home from school, as things happened, um, their lives turned upside down, and they had to find a way to recreate themselves. It's really sad because as an educator, I'm a reading specialist, it bothers me that kids are not getting what they're supposed to get. And then I listen to some educators say, well, you know, I can only do so much. And my answer to them is, if you're there, you're supposed to do a lot more than so much. It just bothers me. So, yeah. Well, I know I get it my, from my nieces. Sure. I, some of what I wrote about, and I gave this couple children that were elementary school age because mm-hmm. I've seen pretty personally what happened with some children. And I interviewed some teachers, and one of the teachers told me that Zoom worked fine for some kids, the top-level kids, worked okay for some and not at all mm-hmm. for some. And I wanted those experiences in this book um, to show how difficult it was, and some parents took helping their kids and working from home with school well, and some were lost. And that's part right. of what I, I wanted to show. Well, you, you did. You definitely did. My niece is in college, and she was taking twice respiratory therapy, and she said on Zoom, she said she couldn't even get to ask a question to the teacher. The professor didn't even want to know anything. So when it came to, which is not my subject, respiratory therapy, but it is now, and she would call me and say, you have to look this up. You have to help me do the essay. 
I said, well, what happened to this? She would email the professor, and, and after the assignment was due and I helped her do it is when she would answer. It was horrible. It still is. So yeah. uh, Oliver, Oliver and Kristen seem to be enabled at first. So you created them because they were like little kids that could do it and get whatever they want. So how did you create these two children? And tell us about Ronnie and Grace and why Ronnie shared a secret that would take her down. Mm. Well, I, you know, again, I'm I observe people um, a little bit as mm. family members, nieces or nephews, or even with some of my granddaughter in this. Uh, and and but I've known families that aren't too involved with their kids, and they're very enabled. Because that's the easiest way if you're not totally involved with your kids to handle them. And they had a nanny, and I think they were uh, just letting the nanny take the lead and not the parent. And that's, you know, work-eccentric parents that weren't looking at their, their kids. And I kind of wanted, I wanted to see, I wanted them to be in a place um, before the pandemic. Mm. That was not not close. So I wanted them to get closer to their kids during the pandemic. Um, so you had to start from like I said, start from some place that was not desirable to move them to a place someplace different. And 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 part of the, the I wanted my book to show a family that had a lot of difficulties. Um, tragedy, mm-hmm. conflict, that the pandemic brought them a lot of difficulties, but that there were, they found hope. I wanted there to be hope someplace. And the hope was in connecting with their family, connecting with their faith, and finding a way out of the pandemic. Not that, that the pandemic is ever over, but that they mm-hmm. find a way to be better family, better people. I really wish people would actually believe that and do something about it. You know, I noticed I walk into stores, and I had to make a phone call to somebody today, and I'm going to take care of that later because people are nasty, really nasty, people skills. And they just said, I have other things to do. I said, well, if it wasn't for somebody like me that, you know, is a client of yours, you wouldn't have anything to do, so don't worry about it. That, that That's I, I, how horrible people are. I agree with you, Fran, but I truly believe that somewhere in the pandemic, we forgot how to be kind to each other. Yeah. And and kindness has just fallen to the wayside. And that's a very, that's a very sad place for us to be. Nobody says thank you. You know, it's funny. We went out this morning because I need air before I do my show. I got to wake up. (laughs) And my husband said, oh, my God, I have a flat tire. Oh, God, no, not today. So he brought it into the station, and the guy fixed it. He said it was a screw, and he didn't charge him to fix it. I was like, nobody does that. I mean, just I couldn't believe it. That that was really like, okay. So tell us about Nathan, who I don't like, and how come he she did something wrong, but he did something wrong too. They both did. So how come he pushed her away? That was that wasn't right. I, I do believe that Ronnie and Nathan had a great love story. And when she mm-hmm. talks about how they met, how they first got together, I mean, it was a beautiful love story. 
but somehow they lost it, as couples do. Mm-hmm. When you're raising children and you're focused on careers, you forget how to love each other. And th- there was a spark there. You see in New Year's Eve of 2020, you know, before the pandemic, they had a spark there, but they weren't, they weren't focusing on each other. They weren't concerned about each other. They were, they were kind of lost. And I think that's what causes people to stray, to have affairs, to forget what's important and to be lost. And they both did. And I don't think Nathan was a, a bad, I don't think either of them were bad people. They were no. lost people. And, and that when they had to confront their failures to each other, it took them a while, mm. but they did tackle it. And, and that's part of what I wanted to say in the book is that I believe couples can face um, um, affairs, can face disloyalty, can face difficult things. And if they want to enough, they can find their way back. And that's part of what I, I wanted to show. I, I had a conversation with some friends. And, you know, back in different parts of my career, I have worked in offices where you saw people having an affa- having affairs mm. in the office. And I said to someone, what happened to those people who had this something going on with, in their office when the pandemic hit and offices were closed and everybody had to stay home? What happened to all that, all those relationships? Mm-hmm. And that kind of started some of the conversation that started the book. And so I wanted to take a couple that had too much involvement with their work and what would happen to them when they had to be home 24-7. They had to be home with each other. They had to be home with their children. They had to eat at home. They had to fix meals at home. And, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to show. Well, you did, because there's a lot of stress that goes on, too, when people don't realize it, and they get angry for no reason, and it, it's true. sad. Well, I see it I see it every single day as I walk outside, and what's really sad is that, I mean, thank God I'm okay, but I haven't seen my family and my niece lives five minutes away, and I said, well, I have missed my nephews and my little three-year-old niece. Oh, that's nice. And I'm the one that's vaccinated. No, so it's like, you know what, I just feel like families have lost sight of what's important. Even even just a phone call is is really great. And sometimes, you know, you get a text message. Oh, my God, my mom reminded that I'm here. So who is Megan? And both Nathan and Ronnie were very self-absorbed with their jobs, so they didn't exactly at first help the kids with school. So who is Megan, and how did she become involved in this? So Megan was Ronnie's assistant, personal assistant at work. Mm. And Ronnie relied a lot on Megan for the day-to-day arrangements that she made, uh, Mm. travel, and and she was her, uh, 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 did all of the office work for her. And she thought Megan was very, very helpful. But 
Megan helped herself to more of Ronnie's life than what she would have wanted. Yep, I, I know. Think <laughs> Me- <laughs> I think Megan was the kind of person who was very jealous of Ronnie. I think Megan mm. looked at Ronnie and thought she had this glorious life, a big house, a handsome husband and children, and Megan didn't have any of that. And she wanted it so much she tried to take it away. And, of course, Ronnie, Ronnie was kind of walking through life with blinders. She didn't see the things that she should have seen for months. She didn't see the little signs that were there. She was just going through life with her blinders on, focused straight ahead on her career. And Megan walked in and hoped to take some of what Ronnie had. And then when the pandemic hit and Megan didn't have an opportunity anymore to be by Ronnie or Nathan, her husband, um, Megan life really unraveled and she became very despondent and then she had to come and confront Ronnie and Nathan and that was a pretty dramatic thing. You know, that's what bothers me is that he did the wrong thing and she did the wrong thing and yet he shoved her away. He really isolated her. You know, I mean, I understand where it's coming from, but she could have come from the same thing. So when the virus hits, it affects both of their jobs, right? And then they have to deal with uh, their children in school. So how did her parents help? Because they were sort of like a godsend. Well, first of all, that I, I think that I put more of the blame on Ronnie because the story is from yeah. Ronnie's point of view. Yep. And I think as as Ronnie, when the affairs became open and she realized that she had broken the family and she was taking a lot of the blame on herself because it was her point of view and there was just anger there. But her mother, her mother was a person of faith and her mother gave them a different, gave a different perspective of motherhood, of family, and her mother was a teacher. So at some point in the book, her mother comes to stay with them, and I kind of don't want to reveal too much. No, don't. But, but her mother helps with the teaching of the children. She helps encourage them to find their faith because her mother was also a Sunday school teacher, so she, I think her mother was a little bit of me. I probably, if there's one character in the book that is me, I would hope it would be more like Lottie's mother. But, and, and she kind of brings a different dynamic into the family. And I think she really helped them find their way back to faith, mm-hmm. find their way back to each other. Um. And I think she that was the important Pardon? She made me miss my sister because my sister was like that. Uh-huh. My my mom was much different. <laughs> but that, you, you know, she sort of made, I kept saying, I, I, if I was in that family, I probably would have sat down and helped the kids too. 
because that's what I've been doing for the last hundred years, helping my nieces and nephews to school. And I said to him, right. you see, I do know something. So how does Nathan react, and what does Ronnie do to help her family? And her mother would help the children. So how did Ronnie's perspective of what her job was to help the family change as a result of what happened? Well, oh, Ronnie's doesn't just lose a job, she loses a career because she was in the travel industry. Mm. And I picked the travel industry because I knew it was one that just dissolved in 2020. And, mm. you know, it, it picked back up since then, but the kind of work that she was doing really never has recovered from the pandemic. And as she saw this dissolving, she needed to find another way she needed to occupy herself and and this is something actually a woman's magazine has asked me to write an article about how the pandemic affected women um, more Mm -hmm. than men because it fell on the women most often to take up the slack of kids not being in school so somebody has to take care Mm -hmm. of school there's no daycare somebody has to take care of the kids um says, since the kids aren't going to school, you have to make them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, mm-hmm. all of these things that a woman who had a very um, um, involved career wasn't doing before the pandemic. And and working with the kids on their school and Zoom. I mean, so it kind of fell to women, and it was almost impossible for a mother to feed her kids three times a day, help them with their school and have a job. So a lot of women lost their jobs or or never quite reconnect with their jobs after the pandemic because for a year or so they were so involved in taking care of their kids. It's it's scary. Well, you know what? Sometimes you learn a lot of positive lessons from what happens which is not so great. And, and, and I think a lot of people, a lot of families did. I mean, I, I found it the first six months, whatever, that had this pandemic. I said, how am I going to get to the hairdresser? They closed everything. They closed beauty shops. They closed everything. Car shops, gas stations. It, it was like nothing. You had to pray that you got even food. Even now there's a shortage of food in many places, right. too. And I, I called my, my butcher yesterday, on, well, I texted him, I can't call him, got to text him, on Friday to tell him that I was coming Saturday to pick up some meat, and the price has tripled, literally tripled. Oh. Wow. Where something was like, you know, 65, now it's all close to 100, but you still need meat, and he's still the best. Even my hairdresser sold his, his beauty salon, he, he gave it up, and he moved someplace else. It's like really weird. So... It's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, I got worried because after 30-something, 30, 30 million years, he sold his beauty parlor, and now he's working somewhere else. And when I went there twice, I said, you know what, this is pretty nice. It's small, and it's a better area in the Bronx. And, then, and as long as they have a diner across the street from my oatmeal, I'm happy. So I didn't care. But... Tell us about Adam, and why did he have to stay there for a while? Well, Adam was actually modeled after my son. Um, oh, gosh. Adam worked, <laughs> <laughs> Adam worked for my, at Boeing, and 
right before the pandemic or during the pandemic, he was offered a job with Boeing in Seattle. And um, he decided to move to Seattle, but he had sold his house and mm. he needed, it was, it was really, really difficult in the beginning of the pandemic when everything was shut down mm. to travel a long distance because some hotels were shut down, restaurants weren't open, there were so many things not open. And that happened with my son, that he wanted to move to Seattle to take this corporate job with Boeing. Uh, and he sold everything, and, but he couldn't move in, in May of 2020 because it was just too hard to drive mm-hmm. from here to Seattle. So he stayed with us for about a month before he decided it was. And, and also, it was hard to get uh, a place to live in Seattle when everything was locked down. People weren't mm-hmm. even communicating back with him. So um, that kind of happened with my son. And, and, and that kind of, I wanted to include in the book different scenarios that had happened during the pandemic. Um, one of my points of research is the Today Show. I love the Today Show. And a lot of, some of the things that, I, that happened in the book I got from listening to people talk about their experiences during the pandemic on television. Mm. And a lot of young adults were moving back home because they were leaving the city. A, a lot of young adults wanted to get out of New York, and they, or they had lost a job, they weren't having an income, so they needed to move home. So I had Adam move in with his sister, Ronnie, for a while before he moved off to Seattle. Mm. Um, and and it's something that I knew happened. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's, so, it's so very, very true. My nephews, um, each one lives in Boston, and one is in, on a scholarship from Muhlenberg, and unfortunately had to take the classes from home. And my brother made a very wrong decision. He said, well, I'm not going to pay for him to take the classes at home. I said, but he lost six months because of it, because he didn't want him to go, you know, to take the classes at home. And they still had baseball for some reason, but they didn't have the classes. And he says, if he's not in class in school, what's the point? I said, because he's learning and he's smart and he could do Zoom. And I, I thought that was wrong. So how, what are, it's so difficult and, you know, Kids or little girls especially, I know it from my nieces, um, why are they so difficult and why is Kristen so worried about the cool kids and expensive stuff, which is, you know, pretty much how little some kids are. And that, that's, a, that's, that's a difficulty. How do you explain to her that it's not the cool kids and expensive stuff that really matters? That, that's a tough one, and it's a true life lesson. Well, I, this, again, it's something that I had observed about little girls being mean with each other and Mm -hmm. that if particularly they were uh, upper middle class you know wealthier families and those little girls often get um, focused on brands and styles and if you don't have exactly the right shoes or purses or Mm -hmm. whatever uh, you're not in the in crowd and Kristen wanted to be in that in crowd, but they weren't good people, and they weren't really, she had a better heart than they did. 
And mm-hmm. I, I think that having her separate it from those people over the pandemic helped her discover that that's not what she wanted, that she wanted to find friends who were more like her, who, who were kinder and more uh, academic instead of focused on uh, outward things, uh, your fashion, your shoes. And um, so, but again, Ronnie knew there was something disconnecting with Kristen, but she didn't really figure it out until they were, had, had to have some heart-to-hearts during the pandemic. And I, I think that Kristen will turn out to be a much better child for it. There, there were so many kids like that, that if it's not this or that, that. I mean, I had, my mother picked my friends, to be very honest. If she was still here, she probably still did the same thing. Because I, I was an A, an A-plus student, so if I wasn't friends with somebody that were A-plus students, forget it. They were X'd out. That, that's how she was. And even my A-pluses weren't high enough for her at times either. So everyone during the pandemic faces a whole lot of time, time. So what happens when her father gets sick, and how does her mother help? Because that, that, that was sad, too. Well, her mother and her father were a very loving couple. And they lived in a small town about an hour's drive away from St. Louis. And um, when her father, her father is a doctor, and when he gets sick, um, Mm -hmm. her mother is distraught because she can't go see him. She can't visit him in the hospital, which is, you know, one of the things in the pandemic that was so hard. And, And I know a family who lost someone during the pandemic and mm-hmm. and none of them could go say goodbye to him. You know, the closest you could get is is uh, uh, on on FaceTime. And um, so I put that, and I saw a lot of that on the news too. And so I put a situation where they couldn't go visit him in the hospital, and they had to do rely on FaceTime. And I I put in the book that. Um, Ronnie's mother goes and sits in the hospital parking lot and prays for him. And I know people who did that because that's as Mm -hmm. close as they could get to their loved one. And Ronnie was so worried that her mother living alone and in fear of her her husband. Uh, So Ronnie brings her mother home uh, because there's no point in staying in that small town where she can't see her husband anyway. Um, So that's how she first gets home. And and then, you know, they can deal with the things that happen together from Ronnie's house. Um, it, it it said my doctor's wife, my eyeglass, I opto, optometrist's wife was my best friend for a very long time. She's much older, and I went into the doc to the the office just to to, to try on. I I have a glass. I'm a glasses freak. Every couple of weeks, I need a new pair of glasses just to make me feel better. <laughs> Yeah, it was a riot, and Vera and I used to just sit and, you know, BS together and stand and drive everybody crazy. We didn't care, and I tried on glasses. The week later, I called up, and they said, when are my glasses ready? They said, we're closed because somebody had COVID. It was her, and she didn't make it, and it broke my heart. It was like, uh-huh. you got to be kidding me. This is my best friend, and it uh-huh. was like, 
they never said anything. And it's a good thing that I called because I had to get tested that day because I was with her for over an hour. And I was really lucky that I didn't, you know, didn't get sick. And I went, had to go straight to urgent care because doctors don't work on Saturday. And the doctor said, no, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Just stay home for a couple of days, which I did. It's it's mm. like frightening out of nowhere. So when you when you wrote this book, what were the scenes that were the hardest and the most difficult? Because they were also real life. I had a box of tissues out, by the way, while I was reading it. I I I don't want to give away too much of the book yeah. because I I want people to read it and find it themselves. But I will mm-hmm. tell you, there was a part of the book that I had tears flowing down on my keyboard. And mm-hmm. after a very difficult part, I had to put it away for a week because I was, I was sad. I was depressed. And I just, I knew, <clears throat> I knew that something better was going to happen to them. But mm-hmm. writing the sad parts is really, really hard. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes I just had to take a break. And, well, and that's because the book was so realistic. That's why. Because it wasn't just a bunch of words that you put together on a paper. It was a book that actually said something. You know, and for somebody like myself, I won't tell you how many thousands of books I've read in the last 10 years. A lot. And I get books you know, based on memoirs, real life experience, and I'm saying, that couldn't have happened. And, and you know, I'll put the book down and go, I have to write a review. Oh, my God, how am I going to do that? This was different. This took me time. I'm going to post the review after, and I hope you don't cry. No, seriously. <laughs> uh, Probably will. I, I, you know, I, I wrote it, and it was, it was tough. It was tough because sometimes you, but and then of course I read in the middle, right after I got this one, I read that the same day. That that was even more. So Nathan is tough on Ronnie, even though she's cooking and cleaning and teaching and restructuring. When when does he realize that's not right? When does he realize maybe you need to take another look and 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 reassess yourself? Well, I <clears throat> I I I believe that <clears throat> when they find faith, when they start watching uh, a church on Zoom, and mm-hmm. they let their faith grow, they learn that they all have faults. I think that's the point where Nathan starts to see his own faults and realize that the problems that they have were created together. And it's at the point where, you know, they listen to a sermon about um, Jesus telling someone you have to take the log out of your own eye before you can see the splinter in someone else's. And mm-hmm. they... They talk about that. And Nathan is still working. Nathan still has his job, and he's focused on trying to do this job in a tiny little room that wasn't meant to be office in their house. And actually, I've known people, I've seen people. My son-in-law is an engineer, and his office closed completely. And he had to take all of this engineer work and put it into a house that was never meant to be an office. And that's what happens to Nathan. He's an architect. And he has to take this career and run it from an office with little kids running around the house. 
and he's so focused on that and he's not trying to concentrate on helping fix them. But it, it evolves, I think, as he sees the time and I think he becomes more aware mm-hmm. of what's going on and how Ronnie has worked to make things better. Um, and part of it is they are, there's a project that they work on together. When Ronnie comes up with an idea of writing books about travel for children, mm-hmm. and no, good. they have to work on it together. And that brings them closer together. Uh, so there has to, you know, there's, there's, it's an evolution, you know, that that's kind of what I'm trying to create through the book is that how they, they start being happy and successful, but broken and they get more broken during the pandemic and then they have to find a way to fix themselves. And I kind of wanted to show that if a couple truly wants to find a way to fix themselves, they could. But they have to both be people with there has to be love and passion and consideration mm-hmm. there. Unfortunately, not everybody is the same. That's the sad part. So Yes. What happens when well Corey gets the virus, but what happens when the cousins have to come and live with them and life gets more challenging? How come they had to stay there? I mean, they had enough well, with their own kids and feeding them, then they have more. I, again, it's, you know, building challenges for this family and how they react with the challenges. One of the parts of Ronnie's sister, Corey, um, her children go to a parochial school. And I know that in where I live, most of the parochial schools in the fall of 2020 opened up and they were in person where the public schools were on Zoom. Mm. So I wanted to show both situations that Corey's two boys were going to parochial school in person, but she was a nurse and she got COVID and she had to quarantine. Mm. And when she was totally quarantined, that her her boys needed someplace else to stay. And because then it was the holidays, and so they came and stayed with Ronnie's family. And I I think it was um, um, kind of a a fun time, in a way, for Ronnie's kids to have their cousins there because you didn't get a lot of family together time. Uh, And it was another challenge that Ronnie had to come up and, you know, she loved her sister and she was going to do this for her sister even though it was really difficult. Um, so it just, a, it was another, I tried to put in the book a number of experiences. So some of the, one of the person, people that Ronnie worked with, um, when she goes to check up on them and found out that she had been in a woman's shelter because some people got found a way back together and some people ended up with violence and difficult situations mm-hmm. during the pandemic. So I wanted to put in as many different kinds of experiences as I knew, that I knew about and the characters would allow. Well, before I forget, otherwise I'll get you know, Thursday, the author of Not Without Sin on the 8th, the author of Dead Man's Weep, 
And on the the tenth, uh, Heroes Ever Die. It's an interesting one. And on the sixteenth, Orientation Book. And on the eighteenth, Sanctuary. There's a whole bunch more, but we're going to end the month on the twenty fifth with someone very special. Iris Johansson is going to get two hours because she wants a double interview with a face to die for and captive. And she's great. She really is great. And my show, for those of you that have a book coming out, you better tell me because I only have two or three dates left in December, nothing before. And we're into January already with two. So there is a benefit to I working from home. I think we're scheduled to talk because, again, aren't we, uh, Fran? Yes, we are. We are in in the middle of the thing in September. We're, we're scheduled. And I, I send, she'll send you the questions. I already did them. And... You know what it is? I get. I have so many interviews coming up that the minute it's for an interview, I read it right away, so that I know that it's. You should see my desk. There are like fifty books staring at me for fifty people that wow. need to be interviewed. Yeah, I'm like, I was like, oh my god, this is like unbelievable. Plus the fact that um, besides partners in crime, I review for Isabella Blackthorn, Blackberry Tours. So if you like scary, you want. Oh my god. And they don't even give me a chance to, they, they only have PDFs and digital and I won't read them. And I don't have to worry about it because they're going to send it anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> this, this, they, they send the print, I just like, where did you come from? How come you're here? But yeah, I get them. And they have some really interesting books that are scary. Um, now there are two two parts that would surprise me. How come you included George Floyd? That was horrible. That whole thing, and why did you conclude the election and the riots? Well, the book starts in November of 2019, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it goes to the Fourth of July 2021. And it was my intent to show that it was not just the virus <clears throat> and the pandemic that during this difficult people period, but there were natural disasters. There were floods, hurricanes, wildfires, derecho. There were a lot of um, um, almost apocalyptic natural events. But there were also political events that just rocked our world. And so this period of time was tumultuous. And it was a very difficult period to live through, and it wasn't only the pandemic. So at the end of each chapter, I, I, I have a, a, a statistics of how many people were sick that month, how many people died that month, and the natural uh, disasters that occurred during that month, mm-hmm. and the, the hurricanes and the fires, and the, uh, George, the events surrounding the murder of George Floyd were important to that year. It it also rocked people's world, and I thought it would be dishonest to not include it as a record of things that happened. Also, the January sixth event, and I think well, maybe I maybe I felt a little just kicked in the gut over the January sixth event. I mean, because I was mm. sitting there watching it unfold. And you know, watching the democracy being challenged, and I I just felt that it was something that was a part of that whole experience of that time that would have been wrong not to include it. 
It, it did. It did make sense. So you did this. This part was interesting. We have a few minutes. We're here. Um, you take the readers through an entire year with the characters. How did you come up with the chapter headings? That was different. You know, I sometimes I don't know where things come from actually, but I I do when I start writing a chapter and and in the current book I'm writing, I just I just know what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to say, and and mm-hmm. what I want to come out of those chapters, and um, it it just seems sort of um, um, natural. It was really because, it, you know, when you're somewhere without fun and when I have the book in front of me, actually, um, no one's going to want to read this after I destroyed it. I write in my books and I underline and I circle so that by the time I read the book, I have a photographic memory, so I just read the book back to myself in my head. Learning to celebrate safely, I mean, it sort of like gives you a hint as to what to expect in the chapter. So that sort of made it even more interesting, but... They're gonna. The, I, I write in the books. I underline. I circle. I write question. I write. Put a question mark where the question mark's gonna be about something on the on the broadcast. This book is destroyed, which is a good thing because that means I really read it and took it apart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. Why does Why does the mother leave? And what lessons does Ronnie learn? And what about Nathan? When do they really realize, you know, maybe this can work? And why does the mother leave? I love the mother. I wish I could have taken her home with me. <laughs> mm. uh, uh, the mother finds a retirement community sort of to um, move to. And I think that I wanted to show that the mother found a way to move on that her life mm-hmm. wasn't going to be just living with Ronnie and her family the rest of her life, that she picked herself up and found a way uh, to recreate her life, to reinvent her life. And I think that's a positive and a good thing. I, I think mm-hmm. I modeled uh, where she moved. I have an aunt uh, who moved into a a uh, community sort of like uh, Ronnie's mother did mm. and she was telling me about the the uh, new little house that she has in the apartment and finding friends in this community and so that's where I wanted her mother to find a happy place to be and um, that's why um, I, I felt she needed to move not too far away but something that was her own. Well, I'm glad you didn't put her in an assisted living or nursing home, because that would have killed me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, no. my no, mom it's... was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2003. So unfortunately, I had to retire because somebody had to have the 24-7 take care of her. And I'll never forget this, that some of the um, nurses in the hospital where she was, I'll never forget this walking in one day, and this lady says to me, I'm from this nursing home. I go, and your point is? Well, we came to have you sign for your mother. I said, sign for yourself, because she's not going anywhere. I could not believe what they, what they were trying to do. Um, the nurse case manager said, you know, we can do that. I said, no, you can't. I went to about 25 different nursing homes all over the all over the Bronx and everywhere, and I came back with brochures, and then I sat at a meeting, and I handed them out. I go, anybody want one? Because 
you could welcome to, to to sign up because my mother's not going anywhere. And it was 10 years of hell that I went through just to take care of her to make sure that she didn't get, you know, that she got the right care, but it cost a lot of money. So those, those you know, that, that, that I came away with $7,000 a month for the night care. And I realized when you didn't put her in a nursing home, I was really happy because this way she had a life. So she, she had a life. Yeah, I like the mother. She's so cool, though. So what memories would Ronnie say were the most precious about this? And what about Nathan? What did they both learn about themselves and about life that they didn't know before? Well, I think Ronnie learned that her family was the most important part of Mm -hmm. her life. And that I think that moving forward... Ronnie and Nathan both learn that whatever else happens to them, they will put family first. And Ronnie finds a new career that she can do from home that fulfills her and uses her talents. And um, and, and she's working with her husband some on it too. And I think she is going to continue to grow that new career. And... um, but always remembering to put faith and family first. Well, I'm looking at and, this and page. And Nathan, too. 148. This is great. Your res- New Year's resolution, spend more time with my kids, spend more time with my husband, stop Oliver from throwing temper tantrums. Oliver, yeah, that's not good. Help Caitlin navigate the bullies at school and a whole bunch more. And that's right. And if the fact that she was writing books for for children, is 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 my kind of thing. It's great. So, if you could have written one more month in the book, what would the family look like if you had to write one more month? That's kind of a tough question. And and, and <laughs> finding an end to the book was really hard because I, know. I didn't want to say the pandemic ended because it never did. Um, it's never going I to. Wanted, <laughs> right. I, I, I don't think it may ever end and I mean it could continue and continue but I think um, in a month or two the children are going to go back to school and I think there are going to be new challenges with that because they haven't been in class with these people for a long time so Mm. I think there are going to be a lot of new challenges uh, within a month or two from after this but the point is that they will face it together, that they will be open, that they will talk about it, that they will pray about it together. And I think that's the point of what's going to happen forward. Not that there's not going to be more problems, because, of course, there will. Um, some of them may get COVID, because, of course, they will. But that they will find a way to uh, um face these challenges um, a little bit more honestly and uh, from a better place. So what is next for you and where can everybody read all of your books? And what are you writing that I didn't get yet? Well, um, 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 my first book was in the middle and it is about Mm -hmm. uh, being in the sandwich generation uh, taking care of a, a, a sick parent and trying to have a career, like you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, my next book, 
I am writing the story of my parents. I write sort of biographical fiction. So Mm -hmm. it's things that from my life and from my heart, uh, but with fictional characters and and, in some fiction. But the first book is... Uh, starts out in 1950 when my parents buy a plot of land and with absolutely no money try to build a business, a greenhouse business. And mm-hmm. it's their struggles and the difficulties that, that they face. And it is partly fiction because I don't know exactly what happened before I was born. Mm-hmm. But um, I've done a lot of research and talked to people about this period and this time and um, uh, there are great challenges in their life and moving forward, and it, it takes them from living in a brick, a concrete brick building with no bathroom to trying mm-hmm. to, to building a business. You should have lived where I did on Southern Boulevard in Tremont. It sounds about the same. My grandfather <laughs> yes. came from Poland. And he came, and he he was um, sold apples on a street corner because he had five kids. He sold apples on a street corner, and from there he bought a laundromat, and he bought a cleaning store later on. And because wow. of it, it, oh, he was amazing. I miss him. He was amazing, and he bought stores for every one of his sons and son-in-laws eventually. And the wow. sad part is, yeah, the sad, really sad part is, with this pandemic, with everything, everybody's forgetting what my grandfather stood for. He And he mm. stood for family and everything. So when I say to them, um, I need to handle this because the cemetery is being, the people that own the cemetery are horrible. I said, it helps if everybody pays their dues because there's some repairs and some people pay and some don't. It bothers me because family comes first, always. So where can everybody learn more about you and reading your work and <coughs> know that just coming back on next month for In the Middle? Yes. yes. <laughs> Don't forget. Yes. I'll remind uh, you. That's great. Um, I I have a website. My name is kind of hard to spell. It's C-A-R-I-N, and first name, last name, S-H-E-L-U-S-K-Y. And I have a website. It's KarenJalewski.com. Uh, my books are available uh, anywhere that books are sold. They, your, any bookstore should be able to get it for you, but they are on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, and and through any source where where you can find the book. If you go on Amazon, it's best to Google my name because the title of the books don't always come up. Um, and I am on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm I'm working hard at growing my Instagram. I, uh, I don't I don't go on there day. too often. I have a I got I get no emails from LinkedIn that really drives me crazy. This morning they said you're very popular. There were 95 people that that looked at your profile. God, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Um, but they don't tell you who they are. In order to get <laughs> to find out who they are. They'll give you like a hint of like maybe five or six what they are, and then they'll tell you if you want to know more, you have to join for ninety nine dollars a month. I don't think oh, so. Dear, yeah, yeah. Right. That right. that it's I all agree. about whatever. But I want to thank you so much. This has been fun. This book is really special. Please get Finding Light in a Lost Year. 
and maybe everyone that reads it will start appreciating the world this year and start understanding that it's not going away, but we just have to learn to live with it and adjust. So thank you so much. And everybody, this is what I say at the end of every show. I even have a sweatshirt that says, Be Kind, that I wear once in a while. Everybody needs to remember that we're all going through this together, and being mean doesn't help. Being kind is what you can say. And when people in the morning say good morning and say have a nice day. Thank you so much, Karen. Everybody have a great day, and bye.